Hi, everybody. How's it going? It's so good. This is the first time I've been here in 2021. I have missed all of you. Have you guys missed me? Yeah, oh, you humor me. Thank you very much. Hey, it's so good to see all of you. Happy Valentine's Day as I was walking into uh, this room here just five minutes ago, ten minutes ago. A little two-year-old named Thomas handed me this Valentine right here. Isn't that awesome? Where are all your Valentines for me, huh? I want to see him after the service. Do me a favor, grab your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. As Emily said, we are beginning a new sermon series. And this sermon series is inspired by that song, Waymaker. But the text that's going to serve as sort of our anchor for this series is we're going to be in the book of Exodus. And over the next several weeks, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be touching down in various spots in the book of Exodus. And I love the book of Exodus. It's such a great book. And every week what we're going to do as we gather together is we're going to take one of those lyrics from Waymaker and we're going to see how God was that to the Israelites as he led them out of their slavery in Egypt. And we'll talk more about that today on their way to the promised land and how God is still like that today. So we're going to talk about how God was a Waymaker and how he still is a Waymaker and God was a promise keeper and how he still is a promise keeper and so on. And today we're going to focus on this idea of God as a Waymaker. And in order to do that, we're going to look at a passage that starts at the end of Exodus chapter 2 into chapter 3 of Exodus. And so to set the scene for what we're going to look at today, I'd love to read this ahead of time and then we'll pray and then we'll get going here. So I'm in verse 23 of Exodus chapter 2. And this is what it says. We'll also have the words on the screen. It says, During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When, Moses, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Verse 5, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Lord has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. 
Father God, as we come before you this morning and as we take a look at this uh, very just rich passage of Scripture, Lord, uh, God, I pray that uh, the, the God who is the way maker, which this passage is about, Father, I pray that that, that would come through, Father. And, and God, I pray that, um, God, that you would speak through me exactly what you want to say here this weekend, Lord. And as you call your people to do what you have placed on our hearts to do as we will talk about, Father. I pray, Lord, that um, people would hear that call as a call from you and respond in obedience and respond in joy to what it is that you have for each and every one of us. And so, God, we give this time over to you, and we ask this all in your son's name. Amen. Well, as we begin here today, as I was uh, preparing for this message this past week, I was uh, remembering a story that is told about Abraham Lincoln. And uh, many of you know that Abraham Lincoln was just a man of, of great faith. He was a man of great devotion to God. And the story goes that during the height of the Civil War, as our nation was tearing itself apart, uh, Lincoln used to actually attend a Presbyterian church in Washington, D.C. And as it goes, as the story goes, whenever he would attend this church, uh, he would only go with just one person. Uh, that was one of his aides. This was in the days, of course, before the Secret Service. And whenever he would attend this church, he would actually slip into this church late. And he would sit off to the side. And the reason why is because President Lincoln knew that if anybody knew that the President of the United States was there, it would cause a commotion, and Lincoln didn't want to do that. And so he would try to remain as hidden as possible. Well, in the story that I read, apparently one time after attending this service, the aide who was with Lincoln, he, he asked Lincoln what he thought of the message. And President Lincoln said something like this. He said, well, I, I thought the message was well thought through, and I thought it was eloquently delivered. And so the aide said this, he said, oh, so you thought it was a great message. And Lincoln replied, no, I thought the pastor failed. And at this, the aide was shocked and he said, failed? How? Why? And this is what Lincoln said. He said he failed because he did not ask of us something great. He said he failed because he did not ask of us something great. And I thought about that story as I was preparing for this message this weekend. You know, as I spent some time over the last several weeks, again, this is the first time I'm, I'm talking to you in person in 2021, as I spent some time over the last several weeks thinking about sort of the current state of our world and the current state of our nation right now, and I've been reflecting on some of the conversations I've, I've had with some fellow Christians, with some of God's people, uh, there's been sort of one word that has come to my mind over and over and over again. And that is the word frustrated. The word frustrated. It seems to me that a lot of people right now, especially a lot of God's people, my, myself included at times, a lot of people right now are frustrated. In fact, for fun this past week, I looked up the definition of the word frustrated to get a better sense of its meaning. And yes, these are the things I do for fun. And when I found this definition online, I, I was shocked because it fit the current climate even more than I thought it would. This is what it means to be frustrated. To be frustrated is to feel or express distress and annoyance, especially because of an inability to change or achieve something. And it was the last part of that definition that got me the most. To feel or express distress and annoyance, especially because of an inability to change or achieve something. And that's where I think a lot of people are right now. A few weeks ago, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, and this was sort of a long, freewheeling conversation. We talked about a lot of different things. We talked about politics. We talked about presidents. We talked about churches. We talked about face masks. We talked about vaccines. 
And sort of the continuing theme of this conversation was frustration. There was just this feeling that there are a lot of things going on right now that, that we don't like, but we feel powerless to do anything about it. There was this feeling that there are a lot of decisions that are being made for us right now that we don't agree with, but, but it doesn't feel like we can do anything about it. And as I said, I think that's where a lot of people, especially I think a lot of God's people, are right now. And at the risk of saying something that I'm not supposed to say, I think if we're honest with ourselves, I think many of us would, would confess that some of that frustration at times, it's even directed heavenward. It's directed up there. You know, one of the things I believe very strongly, and if you've been at this church, you've heard me talk about this quite a bit, is, is I believe that God is the sovereign king of the universe. Which, I believe, which means that I believe there is nothing that happens on this earth that God could not stop in an instant if he so decided. And actually, it's that truth that makes at times what we're going through even more frustrating. Because we look at all these things that are going on right now in our world, things that we have to know that God doesn't like and he doesn't approve of, and we go, why is God allowing these things? And what is God going to do about these things? It's frustrating at times. Well, I want to let you know that if we're struggling with some of what is going on around us right now, we're not alone. And as difficult and as frustrating as maybe some of the things that we're experiencing are right now is, I want to let you know it's nothing compared to what God's people went through in the days of the events recorded for us in the book of Exodus. When we come to the book of Exodus in our Bibles, which is only the second book in our entire Bible, we see God's chosen people, the Israelites, who are sort of one of the main characters throughout the Old Testament. We see them already in a position that they're going to be several places in the Old Testament. And that is that they're in a position of severe hardship. You see, 400 years before the events of the book of Exodus, the Israelites left their homeland. And they left their homeland because there was a famine in their homeland. And, and so they traveled to a foreign country. They traveled to the land of Egypt. And initially, when they got to Egypt, things were going really, really well for them. And they were prospering there. And so the Israelites got married, and they had kids, and their kids got married, and, and so on. And, and they began to grow in numbers, and they began to have a, become a great people in the land of Egypt. But then one day, we're told this Pharaoh became king over Egypt. And this Pharaoh, he looked at all the Israelites in his land. He looked at all the foreigners in his land, and he didn't like that. And he saw them as a threat. And so this Pharaoh decided that he wanted to enslave God's people. And he wanted to make life miserable for them. And back in verse 14 of Exodus chapter 1, we get a picture of what life became like for God's people. We'll put this on the screen. This is what it says. It says, They, the Egyptians, made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. And you see that word ruthlessly there, and it's a very interesting word. It's not used very much in our Bible. And in the original Hebrew, the root of that word, it conveys a sense of violence. As so though the Israelites were being beaten, they were being tortured by the Egyptians of that time. And we need to understand this torture, this slavery, it didn't last just a few years. It didn't last four years or eight years or 16 years. No, it, it lasted hundreds of years. For hundreds of years, the Israelites were enslaved. Talk about frustrating, right? Talk about being powerless. I mean, what could the Israelites do about their situation? 
Well, they did have one thing at their disposal. And it is, by the way, the same thing that we have at our disposal in our time. They had God. And they had prayer. Pick it up in verse 23 of Exodus chapter 2. This is the first part of that passage that I read earlier. Exodus 2, verse 23, this is what it says. It says, During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. And so what we see here is at some point in the midst of their slavery, at some point in the midst of their oppression, the Israelites cried out to God. And as it says there, not only did God hear them, but as it says at the end of verse 25, it says God was concerned about them. Literally, that says God knew them. God knew them. And the image that's contained in that word know there is that God knew how tough it was for them. He knew how difficult it was for them. And God had pity on them. And I think there's a bit of a point that can be made here for for you and me. You know, one of the things that I've I've found in life, and one of the things I've found in talking to other people about their lives, is one of the most difficult things in this life, truly, is to go through a tough time or to go through a difficult circumstance and to feel as though you're alone, right? It's one thing to go through a tough time and to feel as though you have the support of your family and friends around you. It's another thing entirely, however, to go through a tough time and feel like nobody gets it, that nobody understands what you're going through. Loneliness intensifies difficult circumstances. It magnifies frustrations. I think that's one of the reasons why this season has been so difficult for so many people, because many of us have been more alone than we have ever been. Well, I want to let you know this, and many of you already know this, but I want to say it anyway. We we are never alone in the Christian faith, and we never have to fend for ourselves in the Christian faith. Every time we cry out to God, not only do we have a God who hears us, but we have a God who who is concerned about us. He knows what we're going through, and His heart is with us, and it's for us. Just a couple weeks ago, I received an email from a woman in this church who was going through a tough time. And it's one of those seasons where it was just one thing after the other, which happens sometimes. First, she lost a, a loved one. Then she went through some financial difficulties. And then she herself was sent to the hospital with an illness. And she talks about how she was lying in that hospital recovering, but still in a lot of pain. She just felt despair. She felt alone. And that's what's going on with hospitals these days. You can't have visitors. And so she just felt so, so alone. And she talks about how in the midst of that despair, she just cried out to God. And she said that in that moment, she knew God was there with her in that room. She said it was unexplainable, but it was unmistakable. God was there. And God was there. And he's here with us. And he's here with you and whatever you are going through. We're never alone in the Christian life because we have a God who cares about us. And more than that, uh, we don't just have a God who cares about us. We have a God who wants to do something about the difficult and burdensome and unjust and unfair and frustrating experiences that we find ourselves in. That's something we need to understand about our God. You know, as upset as we might get at some of the things that are going on in the world right now, I promise you, God gets more upset. God hates injustice more than we do. God hates unrighteousness more than we do. And there's something else we need to understand about our God. And that is that our God will not tolerate wrongdoing for too long. Though God is more patient than us, honestly, and he will probably tolerate wrongdoing a lot longer than we will, there comes a point when God says, enough. And it doesn't matter how impossible a situation may seem. 
And it doesn't matter how stacked the deck may seem against us. God always has an ace up his sleeve to take care of his children and see that his will is done. That's what this entire sermon series is about. Our God is a way maker. Our God has this remarkable ability to make a way where there doesn't seem to be a way. But it's the way that God often does that. It's the way that God often makes a way that is the most intriguing to me. And that's what we see as we continue on in this story. If you were paying attention as I read earlier, you would have seen that right after this passage and the end of Exodus chapter 2, we come across probably one of the most famous men in the Bible, and we come across one of the most famous stories in the Bible. It's the story of Moses and the burning bush. The Bible talks about this guy by the name of Moses, who, by the way, is probably about 80 years old when this particular story takes place. And and Moses is sort of a shepherd. We're told that he's actually taking care of the sheep of his father-in-law. And one day we're told that Moses is trying to find food for his father-in-law's sheep. And so he's led to this mountain. And as he gets to this mountain, we're told that all of a sudden there is this bush that lights on fire, but it doesn't burn up. And so Moses is intrigued by that. So he approaches this bush to see what's going on. And we're told that the voice of God speaks to Moses from this bush. And after asking Moses to take off his shoes as a sign of respect for God's holiness, the shoe was the dirtiest part of the body, and so God asked Moses to take off his shoes. After doing that, God gives Moses the following message. Pick it up in verse 7 of Exodus chapter 3. It says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And we'll stop right there. And I don't know about you, but I read these couple of verses here and I go, this is great, right? This is everything we could have hoped for. This is everything that we just talked about. What God says to Moses here is he does two things. First of all, God reiterates to Moses everything we saw at the end of of chapter 2. God tells Moses here, Moses, I've seen what's going on with my people. I've heard their cries for help, and I'm concerned about them. So he reiterates everything that we saw at the end of chapter 2. But then here in this speech to Moses, God goes a step further. Not only does God say to Moses, I've seen, I've heard, I'm concerned, but God says this. He says, Moses, and I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to make a way for my people. You see that in verse 8. In verse 8, God says, literally, I've come down to this earth. And I'm going to set the Israelites free from their slavery. And I'm going to take them out of Egypt. And I'm going to bring them to this promised land. This land flowing with milk and with honey. Which was a sign of abundance and prosperity in that time. And we look at that and we go, that's great, right? This is everything that we could have hoped for. God is going to make a way for his people. But it's what God says next that I find the most interesting. Look with me at verse 9. Right after telling Moses that he's going to do something about the situation, this is what God says, verse 9. He says, And now the cry of the Israelites have reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Verse 10, So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now do you see what just happened there? What did God just do there? Let's look at it again, verse 9. He says, and now the cry of the Israelites have reached me. I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing In verse 10, so now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. What does God just do there? It's a bait and switch, isn't it? God pulls an old switcheroo here. 
If you summarize all that God says in verses 7 through 10 here in a few sentences, this is what God says. We'll put it on the screen. This is what God says to Moses. He says, I've heard the cries of my people. I'm concerned about them, he says. I'm going to do something about them. And so Moses, now you go and you take care of this situation. I've heard the cries of my people. I'm concerned about them. I'm going to do something about them. So now Moses, you go and you take care of them. I mean, it's crazy. But actually what God does here is something that God does all throughout the Bible. And that is this. When God wants something done, when God wants to make a way, more often than not, what God does is he uses ordinary people to lead the way. When God wants something done, when God wants to make a way, more often than not, what God does is he uses ordinary people to lead the way. And that's what we see here. And it's this little bait and switch that God pulls here. It's this switcheroo that God pulls here that leads to what, in my opinion, is probably the greatest exchange of dialogue in the entire Bible. Because as you can imagine, Moses is completely taken by surprise in this. Remember, Moses didn't come to this mountain to meet with God. Why did Moses come to this mountain? He came to this mountain to find some sheep food, right? And now all of a sudden, this 80-year-old shepherd is being told, Moses, you need to go to talk to Pharaoh, this ruthless dictator, at this point probably the most powerful man in the world, and you need to tell Pharaoh that he needs to let his entire workforce go. And so Moses is completely shocked by this. And so what follows this assignment that God gives Moses here in verses 7 through 10, in the rest of chapter 3 into chapter 4, what we find now is we find a series of three questions that Moses asks God and three responses that God gives. We find three questions that Moses gives to God and three answers that God gives. And actually what we're going to do is we're going to put a chart on the screen and we're going to sort of fill this chart out as we go along. So you may want to write this down if you want, okay? So three questions and three answers. The first question that Moses asked God, you find in verse 11 of this passage. And that is simply this. Moses asked God, God, who am I that I should do this? God, who am I that I should be given this assignment? And this is what you see in verse 11. But Moses said to God, God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And so the first question that Moses asked God is, is God, who am I that I should do this? And understand, this is a completely reasonable question. As I said, Moses, he's not a politician at this point in his life. He's not a dignitary. He's an 80-year-old shepherd. And now he has to go to talk to the most powerful man in the world and give a very unpopular message. And so Moses very reasonably asked, God, who am I that I should do this? Well, here's God's response. You see it in verse 12. And God said, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. I will be with you, God says. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So returning back to our chart, in response to Moses' first question, who am I that I should do this, what's God's answer? God's answer is this, Moses, it doesn't matter because I'm going to be with you. Moses, who you are is inconsequential because I am going to be with you. And it's this answer that God gives that leads now to Moses' second question. And what do you think that question is? If Moses asked God, God, who am I that I should do this? And God's answer is, it doesn't matter who you are because I will be with you. Then what do you think Moses' second question is? 
Yeah, you're right. None of you said it. The other services said it. Are you guys paying attention? The second question is this. Okay, God, well then who are you? (laughs) Who are you? And that's what we see in verse 13. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And essentially what Moses is saying here is, God, who are you? When, when Moses is asking for God's name, their names in, the, in this time period were really significant and they, they conveyed meaning. And so when Moses asked for God's name, essentially what Moses is saying here is, God, who are you? And this is also a reasonable question. Because remember, the Israelites have been enslaved here for hundreds of years. And in the way, in the people in this world, the way that they thought at this time, that meant one of two things about the God of the Israelites. It either meant A, he didn't exist, or B, if he did exist, he was really weak. Far weaker than the gods of the Egyptians. And so Moses needs God's credentials here. God, if you're telling me it doesn't matter who I am because you're going to be with me, well then God, who in the world are you? And it's to this question that God gives what I think is the most epic response in the entire Bible. Look with me at verse 14. Look at what God says here. It says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. Isn't that great? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And I would imagine that if God had a mic in his hand right now, he would have just dropped it, okay? Because this is a mic drop sort of moment. Because what is God saying to Moses here? He's saying, Moses, you want to know who I am? I just am, Moses. I defy explanation. You can't explain me. You can't define me. I just am. And so returning back to our chart in response to Moses' second question, who are you? God simply says, I just am. And this, by the way, this is what sets up the revelation, the disclosure of God's name in the Bible. I don't know how many of you know this, but but our God has a name, and it's not God. Our God has a personal name, like my name is Chris, and my wife's name is Tanya, so God has a name. And in the original Hebrew, God's name is just four letters, and when you bring that into the English language, it's the letters Y-H-W-H, Y-H-W-H, that's God's name. And we actually are not entirely sure how to pronounce that. The Hebrew alphabet at this time had no written vowels. So we aren't entirely sure how that sounds, but most scholars believe it probably was pronounced something like Yahweh. Yahweh is God's name. And Yahweh literally means He is. God says to Moses, I am who I am. And so Yahweh literally means He is. It's a third person singular of the verb to be. And I want to let you know that we see God's name used all throughout the Old Testament. Anytime you're reading the Old Testament and you see the Lord in all capital letters, in fact, you see it in the very next verse, in verse 15, the underlying Hebrew there is Yahweh. It is God's personal name. And there is so much wrapped up in the fact that God would choose as his name a word that means he is. We could do an entire sermon series on that one idea alone. But among other things, what it means is exactly what I said at the beginning of this message. It means that God is the all-powerful, sovereign king of this universe. It means that everything that exists in this universe exists because of God. God is everything. God is. That's who our God is. And it's in light of that, going back to my earlier point, it's in light of that that it's so amazing to me that this God who is everything, would use this 80-year-old shepherd to accomplish his purposes. 
This God who is everything, who could free the Israelites at a snap of a finger. It's so amazing to me that that God would use this 80-year-old shepherd to deliver his people. But as I said, that is how God often works. When God wants to make a way, God often uses ordinary people to lead the way. And that's what brings us to you and me. And that's what brings us to all that we're going through in this unique time in which we continue to live. You know, I've talked about this before, but one of the things that happens when you're a pastor is uh, you receive emails, okay? I receive a lot of emails. And let me tell you, the vast majority of emails that I receive are very kind and they're very gracious because you are a very kind and a very gracious group of people. Most of you are. No, all of you are, okay? You are. But occasionally, occasionally, we'll receive emails. I receive emails of a different sort. And recently, I've received a couple of emails that that follow a similar theme. And what someone will do is they'll they'll send me an email that includes like a link to an article or, or maybe even sometimes to a sermon that another pastor preached. And by the way, that's exactly what your pastor wants. Your pastor wants a sermon of how good another pastor is, okay? No, really, it's, it keeps me humble, so that's good, okay? It is. But, but they'll send this article, they'll send a link to another sermon, and then the person will say this. They'll say, Chris, do you see all that's going on right now in our nation, in our world? And essentially what they'll ask is they'll say, Chris, what are you going to do about this? What's what's the church going to do about this? Why aren't you speaking about this like pastor so-and-so is? And I want to let you know, I completely understand the spirit in which those emails are sent. I do. There's a lot going on right now that scares a lot of people and it concerns a lot of people. And there's, there's a burden that a lot of people feel right now. And I absolutely get that. Here's what I want to suggest to you, okay? Here's what I want to suggest to you. One of the things that I've learned over the years, and one of the things that I see in Scripture, is that the burdens that we feel, I often think they're more than just burdens, okay? I think they're callings from God. I think they're assignments from God. I said it earlier, if we're upset at what is going on around us, I promise you, I promise you, God is more upset. And I believe that God wants to do something about what is going on in the world right now. And I believe the way that God wants to do something about what is going on in the world right now is the way that God has almost always done something about what is going on in the world. And that is that God wants to raise up ordinary people to accomplish His purposes. And I think one of the ways that God calls His people today It's through those burdens that we feel, even those frustrations that we feel. I think a lot of those, they come from the Holy Spirit himself because those are the things that God himself cares about. And I really believe that right now God is raising up a generation of Moseses to lead the way so that God can make a way, so that God's will can be accomplished here on this earth. And we need to pay attention to what God is saying to us. And we need to respond to it. That's what I'm trying to do. I'll be perfectly honest with you, okay? I will never be as political as some of you may want me to be. I will never be as political as maybe some pastors you listen to right now are. And there's a reason for that. 
That's not what God has called me to be. That's not the burden that God has given me. God has made it very clear to me what he has called me to do. And that is this. God has called me to teach this book. God has called me to proclaim his word. That was a slow applause, but it got going. That's good. You know, I'll, I'll be honest with you, brothers and sisters. I do have a lot of opinions on a lot of different things. I am a very opinionated person, okay? And I have a lot of opinions on a lot of what's going on in the world right now. And if you wanted to get me one-on-one, I would be more than happy to share with you the opinions that I have. But I believe that when I stand on this stage in the capacity as your pastor, I don't believe that God has called me to share my opinions. I believe that God has called me to teach the truth, and that's what's found in this book. That's why I'm doing a little bit less that time, but that's okay. We already did it once. That's why I'm doing these midweek Bible studies, just so you know. That's why I did Revelation over the summer. That's why I'm doing the the book of Romans after Easter. Just so you know, I don't have to do these studies. My earthly boss has not told me to do these studies. And, And they're a lot of work on top of what I'm already doing. But I'll tell you what, I am serious about them. In fact, I told someone the other day, the next 10 years of my life, I believe, are going to be dedicated to these midweek studies. Eventually, I want to do a survey of every single book in the Bible. Why? Because I believe that God has called me to do that. You see, for too long I've been frustrated about what I think is the lack of serious Bible teaching in God's church today. And I've been frustrated about it. And I felt a burden about it. And I've complained about it. And finally I got to a place where I felt like God said to me, Chris, stop complaining about it and just do something about it. You see, I believe that God wants to make a way for his word to be proclaimed. And I believe that God wants to use me and other people with my passion to lead the way in that. You see, contrary to what we think, brothers and sisters, we are not powerless, as the definition of frustration implies. We are not powerless about what is going on in this world. As I said, I think many of the frustrations we feel, the burdens we feel, they come from God himself. And the areas where we feel the most frustrated Maybe the areas where God wants to make a way and he wants you and me to lead the way. That's exactly what God does with Moses. You know, there's a whole backstory to Moses that we don't have time to get in today, but it's important. And the highlights are this. Moses himself was an Israelite. And Moses had a burden for his people. In fact, earlier in his life, you can read about in chapter 2, earlier in his life, Moses tried to set the Israelites free from their slavery. And God knew that. And that's why God gave Moses this assignment. And I believe that right now God is giving some of you an assignment. Are you frustrated about what's going on in the political realm right now? Don't send me an email asking me what I'm going to do about it. As I just said, that's not what God has called me to do. But I have no doubt God has called you, some of, some of you to do something about that. And so maybe God is calling you right now to, 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 to support with money or to support with time a politician who is aligned with biblical principles and, and, and to really come along the side of them. Or maybe God is even calling someone in this church to run for political office. Who knows? Are you frustrated right now with what's going on at your kid's school? Maybe that's actually God calling you to get involved, to to get on the PTA, or better yet, to get on the Board of Education. God knows we need more godly people in positions like that. Are you frustrated right now with our current administration and the lack of uh, the, the, the lessening of protections around babies in their mother's womb? I'm frustrated. Maybe God is calling us to do something about it. 
Maybe he's calling us to give to or volunteer at organizations that promise to protect them and fight for those babies. Are you frustrated at what's going on in God's churches right now? Do you want to see God's churches be all that God has called it to be? Well, get involved. Be the change that we want to see. Our area of greatest frustration may be the exact place where God is calling us to to do something, to lead the way so that God can make a way. Now, obviously, obviously, whenever we feel a burden towards something and we feel called to move, we need to make sure that that aligns with Scripture and it aligns with God's character. And that's why if you are feeling a burden towards something, it's really good to, to consult with other Christians to make sure it does align with God's Word. But once we get the green light, we need to do what God has called us to do. Now, I can imagine what some of you are thinking right now. Well, Chris, come on, let's be honest, right? I I can't run for political office, or I can't do that. I don't have the time. I don't have the ability. I don't have the resources to do that. Well, just so you know, Moses thought the exact same thing. Remember, I said there were three questions that Moses asked of God. So, So far, we've only covered two of those questions, and I know some of you are getting nervous. Did he forget about the third question? No, I didn't. Let's get to the third question, okay? Right after Moses asked God, God, who am I? And God says, it doesn't matter, I will be with you. And then asking God, God, who are you? And being told, I just am. Moses asked God a third question, and actually it's a repeat of the first question. Put the slide on the screen. Once again, Moses asked God, God, no, but really, who am I? Who am I that I should do this? You see, Moses has a problem. We read about it in Exodus chapter 4. Moses' problem is this. He says to God in Exodus chapter 4, verse 10, literally he says this. He says, God, I have a heavy tongue. I have a heavy tongue. And what that means is that Moses had some sort of speech impediment. In fact, a lot of scholars believe that maybe Moses was a stutterer. And now he's being told that he has to go talk to the most powerful man in the world. And so Moses thinks about it and he says, No, God, really, who am I that I should do this? And listen to God's response. Exodus chapter 4, verse 11. It says, The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. And literally what God says there, he says, I will be with your mouth. I will be with your mouth. And so let's put that chart on the screen. In response to Moses' final question, no, but really, God, who am I? Once again, God says this. He says, Moses, it just doesn't matter because I am going to be with you. And God says the same thing to us. Those of you who have been at this church for a while, you know my story. I suffer from anxiety. I suffer from stage fright. What was it, five or six years ago, I was having panic attacks on stage as I talked to all of you? (laughs) Someone the other day said to me, Chris, I, I see you right before, as you're sitting over there, I see you right before you get on the stage to preach. And you always look so nervous. You always look so anxious. What is that all about? I am nervous. I am anxious. I'm afraid I'm going to pass out right in front of all of you, you know? (laughs) I always tell people with my personality, I should have been in IT, just sitting in a little room somewhere, just a computer and myself. I'm the least likely person in the world who should be doing what I'm doing. But for almost nine years at this church now, I've been doing that. Why? Because it's not about me. It's about God. He's called me to do this. And so he will see me through this. Medicine also helps, by the way, just so you know. But, but mainly it's God. God uses the medicine, okay? And the same goes for all of you. If God has called you to do something, he will give you what you need to do it. 
We can throw whatever excuse we want to at God. God is much bigger than all of our excuses. And so that's why as we close here, my simple question for you is this. Where do you feel like God wants to make a way? And he wants you to lead the way. What burden has God given you that he may be asking you to do something about? You know, there are some people today who look at the God of of Exodus, right? The God of Moses, the miracle-working, way-making God, and they ask this question. They say, where is the God of Moses today? Looking at all that's going on around us, right? Where is that miracle, way-making God of Moses today? Just so you know, that's not the right question. The right question is this. It's not where is the God of Moses. It's where are the Moseses of God. Where are those who are willing to listen to and to respond to God's call? Where are the Moseses of God? I know where they are. They're in this church. They're sitting in these seats. I believe in this odd time in which we continue to live, God is doing something great and he wants to raise up a generation of people to accomplish his will, to to lead the way so that God can make a way. The question for us is, will we listen to him? And will we respond to the call, to the assignment that God has given us? Will you do me a favor? Will you pray with me? Father God, as as we come before you right now, Lord, I can't help but think, um, not through my words, but through your word, Father, that there is someone in this room, hopefully more than that, but at least someone in this room, God, that you've just put a big call, a big assignment on their heart. And maybe, Father, it's something that they've been feeling for a long time, but, but this message here today, it just confirmed that, Lord. And God, I pray that you would continue to confirm that, Father, within them. And I pray that they would know that since it comes from you, Lord, it is something that you promised to be alongside them and you promised to guide them and you promised to lead them, Father. And God, they will accomplish your purposes because you will see it done. It doesn't mean that they'll do it perfectly. Moses didn't do it perfectly, God. But the end of Moses' life, he he did what, what you asked him to do and saw the fruit of that, Father. And I pray that for for those sitting in these seats right now, God. Father, I I really do believe that in this church, God, you are calling some people here to do some great things for your kingdom, Lord, so that you would get the glory and you would get the credit, God. And I just pray that you would help us discern what that is and and to have the faith and the obedience and the courage to go through with that. And Father, I would make a mistake in this message if if I didn't talk about the fact that as we talk about you being a way maker, Lord, the, the ultimate way maker, of course, is Jesus. He's the one who, who made a way for us to be able to, to come to you in prayer like this, Lord. He's the one who made a way for us to be able to, 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 to spend eternity with you, God. And, and the way he did that was through obedience to your call, through his death on the cross and subsequent resurrection. And so, God, as we follow your call in our heart, what we're doing is we're following the example of Jesus. And we know that as we stay close to him and as we cling to him, Father, as your word says, that he will empower us and he will comfort us and he will be with us every single, single step of the way, Father. And we thank you for that truth, that we are never truly alone in anything that we do here on this earth, Lord. And so, God, we confess that we cannot do this in our own power, Father. We need you so much. And we thank you that as we cry out to you, we know, Father, we know that you hear us and that you love us. 
and that your heart is for us. And so, Father, we thank you so much for all that you do for us, Lord. We love you so much, and we ask all of this in the powerful name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.